Hello, everyone. I'm Kevin Winder, and thanks for tuning in to another podcast of Beyond Everything Radio. And as always, I have a question for you. Are teens just going to go out and have sex no matter what we tell them? In today's podcast and post, we continue our series on parenting teens with a look at dating and sex. In a world that is so saturated with sexuality, most parents think their job is to stave off as much sexual content as they can, but that only contributes to the problem. Join me now as I share how wisdom can train our teens to have a high view of sex, and I offer an alternative strategy for dating, which will establish our teens on a path of finding and honoring true love and commitment. Hello, everybody, and thank you so much for coming back to yet another podcast of Beyond Everything Radio. I am your host. My name is Kevin Winder. I am so glad to have you here, no matter when or how you found me. Uh, I hope that you're here because somebody said, hey, you need to listen to this series. Um, We are in the series. We are on part five of Parenting Teens. And as you know, that can be an entirely new set of challenges compared to raising young children. Uh, And it's a time when a lot of parents really feel this disconnection with their young people. Uh, The relationships break down, communication struggles, emotions run high, tensions, arguing, fighting. It seems like everything is a struggle, a battle. Uh, there's much confusion. There's there's just this disconnect. And uh, for a lot of parents, it's a painful, uh, confusing time. And for children, let's face it, it is one of the most confusing times of life. And so I am trying to offer uh, what I have learned through wisdom, through experience, through trial and error, which has truly allowed me to enjoy the teen years with my young people. Uh, and I've done so with just a tremendous sense of gratitude and peace, with no drama, with no attitude, no lip, um, no rebellion. So I really call on the carpet these assumptions that are there. And today we are going to take on the big one, dating and sex. And so I invite you to tune in. I've got a lot to offer here. I'm going to try and pack it in as much as I can. But I am going to give you parents something to offer your young person, a strategy for dating and a way of looking at sex, which will free them from the way the world looks at stuff. So it's Parenting Teens number five. It's podcast number 372, and it is called Dating and Sex. And uh, if you've been a part of this series, by now you know that I've shown parents that you have to question the predominant assumptions behind the issues in our teen's life, like their food, uh, their education, their rebellious nature, right? Their music choices, their friends' choices. But today we're going to really question these assumptions behind a teen's sexuality and their dating. Like, we can't assume that a teen knows who he or she is, right? We can't just assume that they're going to figure that out. And we can't assume that they are just going to rebel. We cannot assume as parents that they're just going to eat junk food. And today, we cannot assume 
that he or she is just going to go out and have sex. So just teach birth control. That's that's really all we have, really. Condoms and getting them on the pill is the best you can do. Each time we make these assumptions, folks, we actually are showing disrespect to our teens by assuming that they are just as foolish as the world in which they live. Now, I understand teens are inexperienced in life and therefore they make mistakes and you do want to protect them from the, some of the consequences of foolish mistakes, which are common during this time, but they're not required. You can actually lead your young people to avoid foolish mistakes, to make them hunger and thirst for right living. So when a teen just goes with the flow of the world, and as parents, we're like, well, they're just going to go out and do all that stuff anyway, and I can't stop them no matter what I say. They don't listen to me. Folks, that is an indictment upon parents' cosmology, the way you shaped the world. The fact that they have that disposition is because you most likely gave it to them. And that's way more of an indictment on parents than it is on the teen's behavior. And I know that's not popular. And by now, we're in series part five. You know that I am going to hold parents responsible for their teen's behavior in the same way I hold a parent responsible for their toddler's behavior. Okay? Now, if you don't like that, you say, I didn't teach them these things, but they still went out and did it. Um, then you're not getting to the heart of what I'm exploring here, okay? I know there are different people. I know every situation is different. I am not being judgmental or critical or mean, but I need you as a parent to own some of this, okay? So when a parent who has no self-control, they have no boundaries, no moral compass of their own, uh, they're just reflecting a world which lacks these things too, right? That's the most common scenario. Now, I know parents would like to think they have some measure of self-control, some boundaries, and some moral compass, but if you've turned your back on faith and religion and you know things that drive a person to make a moral choice, then what ground do you have to give that morality to your teens and expect them to live by it. So when teens who are not given an alternative way to live, they are going to see the world's foolishness as normal because that's what you have taught them. Well, that's just how it is. The world is a messed up place and you're going to go out and be messed up. So I'm going to try and help you try not to be messed up. But let me tell you, uh, I can't seem to overcome the voices that they, they encounter let me begin by reminding parents that the framework for dating and sex, which is promoted by the world, is not normal. Yes, it is, it's the dysfunction uh, shared on a broad stage of what everybody's doing. It's blindness. It's selfishness. And it, and it offers way too low of a view of sex. That is not normal as in healthy and normal. It is abnormal. It is dysfunction. It is pathology.
you have to get that. If you don't see the world as that, you see this exploration of sexuality and you know all this kind of stuff is just a normal things for teens to do uh, then you have given them a very low view of sex and dating and relationships so no wonder so when I was a teen the message for us was all about abstinence right uh, it wasn't really about moral purity that was kind of implicitly the message in there but it was really about make sure you're a virgin when you're married or god's going to be mad at you and today we don't have really any message about abstinence nor moral purity unless you go to traditions of faith um, it's the ideal given to me was basically like i said remain a virgin or else god is going to frown and this, this is a pathology too, right? Religious communities don't get this right either because it's actually diminishing sex here too by making it wrong or sinful or bad. And that creates this massive temptation in the life of a teen. You know, it's just kind of like saying, you know, don't eat that cinnamon roll that I just took out of the oven. It's like, what? So sex in and of itself is really none of those things. It's not wrong. It's not bad. It's not sinful. Um, that's the pathology that comes out of religion. And this is where wisdom shows us the road which exists between these two ditches. Do you see what I'm talking about? On one side, sex is viewed as an unavoidable biological act, and it's really no big deal. And that's where the world devalues sex, commoditizes it, and manipulates economic behavior by it. But the other ditch on the other side says sex is way too big of a deal. And therefore, if it's not idolized in some way, then it's also bad and evil and wrong and terrible. And religion makes a taboo out of it. It causes people to repress or fear their sexuality, forcing sexuality to form in the dark recesses of a person's toxic psychology that's not healthy it's not good that's why you got a lot of religious people who waited to have sex but now their marriages have terrible sex lives they have it's just like they grew up with this very low fearful view of sex and now they can't even relate to each other on the other side, you have people who had a free-for-all their whole life, and now their sexuality is so polluted, so confused, that it's, it's hard to even function in a marriage. So these polarities are where we as parents have to find wisdom and live and guide our children through. So we have to provide wisdom which allows our teens to walk in freedom and discover a healthy sexuality. How do you do that? Proverbs 7, 4, and 5 is part of a longer chapter or a couple of chapters about wisdom and relationships and sexuality. It says, say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call insight your intimate friend. Keep you from the forbidden woman. This could also be the forbidden man in a modern context. But from the adulteress with her smooth words. Right? This is a whole framework of wisdom that is trying to get at something 
behind jacked up relationships, which our world is so full of. And of course, the media message, the propaganda of the world has the goal of removing sex from its proper context. Like people just, if you, if you say sex should be reserved for a marital relationship, most people today would laugh at you, uh, think that is stupid, foolish, or whatever. The foolish assumption, though, is that sexuality is reducible to biology. And this comes from the predominance of our scientific worldview. So if that's how you're training your kids, then, yeah, you better make sure they have birth control and condoms and everything else because they're just going to go express that willy-nilly. But that's simply because you gave them the world's pathology. You, as in your family, shared a very low view of sex. Yes, it's true we have a biological interest here, duh. But we're not limited to our biology. We're not constrained by it. We're not just to go out and just give in to it. Otherwise, civilization could not exist if all humanity simply acted on their instinct. Every man would just take whatever woman he wanted. We can't do that. As C.S. Lewis says, that thing which tells us to go against our instinct cannot itself be instinct. He's pointing to this higher thing of morality, which, which is pressed upon every human, regardless of your faith or tradition. So why do you want to say you hold to some aspect of morality and then throw the rest of it out simply because your appetite for sex is greater than the other appetites? That's a stupid morality. So this, this is more to it, right? We can teach our kids this. There's way more to us than our impulses. If we just give in to our appetites, we devolve into sickness. We really do forfeit our potential. Go ahead, show me a, a guy or a girl who just gave in to their sexual appetites willy-nilly. I promise you they don't have long-lasting, healthy relationships. They know very little of them. So do you see the theme here? The world celebrates our appetites. Wisdom is trying to remind us that our appetites are terrible guides. So you have to have something beyond yourself to govern this. This is where the counsel and wisdom of Scripture is so helpful. See, as parents, we have to show our teens the inconsistent and foolish, mess, foolish messages of the world. It's not our job to just shelter our kids from movies and TV shows and media which have sexuality in them. And I always invite parents to engage with their teens in the midst of it so that they can be the voice of wisdom that helps them recognize the foolishness. You sit down and you watch friends and you show how they're all jumping in bed with each other right at, it's like that's not that's not good right it, it ends poorly that is a that's foolishness on one hand you know the world sells sex as a hobby to young people saying hey you, you're free to just go be as sexually promiscuous as you wish just use and consume as many people as you will as who will let you you know Grow your body count. Get it up there. Let's see if you're a stud, if you're a real, you know, a real player. And girls nowadays and their sexual freedom also have huge 
large body counts, as the culture likes to put it. But then on the other hand, it sells this idea that eventually you're just going to magically find that somebody special, right? After all of these people coming in and out of your bed, you're just going to somehow find one that causes us to settle down and become monogamous and stable where we can raise families. Folks, those claims are incompatible. Do you see it? It's foolish. It's nonsense. How do people who have compartmentalized sex and never practiced self-control nor building a relationship of love magically become integrated and capable? I can tell you right now, they don't. This is why counselors are so busy with marriages who are failing and why so many quit and give up because they just found somebody else, you know, along the way. For my teens, sexuality was a common topic of discussion. I mean, we've always been there watching TV with them, not hiding TV, but actually being there with them and talking through what they're seeing as a voice of wisdom so that they could constantly hear a positive framing, a high view of sex in contrast to this pathology that the world is constantly giving them. I was always proving how their peers in the world offer terrible advice. I pointed them to the designer of sex, God, through scripture who has a very high view of sex and intimacy and love and commitment and wants the best for us. And trust me, the best is a monogamous, married, committed relationship. And I wanted them to have that high view. And so I had to work that in as a counterbalance to the voice and the foolishness of the world. Sex was something sacred. It's something to wait for. It's a gift to open in the context of marriage. It goes against our cultural norms, yes, but think about it. Consider this wisdom on the subject of pornography. The world defines pornography as basically graphic nudity and images of sex, but it's just the stuff your HR department doesn't want on your work computer. In a very low view of sex, what's the big deal? Why is it offensive? Why do you care? Most parents just assume their teens are downloading porn, and guess what? They are. There can be no moral ground for a parent to stand on here. If you have a low view of sex, then why would you possibly warn your kid about pornography? What could be wrong with it? That nothing's a lower view of sex than pornography. Do you see this? And then those who are kind of what I call immature moralists who try and take some kind of morality, even though they have no faith or anything upon which to base it, they conclude that pornography equates to nudity. And then they blur the lines that are drawn to kind of keep teens from seeing too much. So now parents are no, you can't see a rated R movie, or, oh, that bikini is too revealing, or all these other kinds of things, which really screw up the whole idea of sexuality and what's too much. It makes everything a taboo, a forbidden. But by contrast, the wisdom of Scripture tells us pornography, the word we get pornography is from this word pornea, which means sexual immorality. It's not a thing on the outside. It's not a consumable. 
pornography isn't anything on the internet. It's not a magazine or a movie. It's none of that. It's part of our own curious, seeking heart, which is trying to get out. You see, uh, Jesus says in Mark 7.21, it's from within, out of the heart of mankind, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality or pornea, theft, murder, adultery. Like he goes on and lists the whole junk drawer. Pornography isn't the thing on the outside trying to get in your computer and get into your kid's mind. Pornography is the thing within your kid trying to get out. And of course, the world is full of ways to express that thing inside trying to get out. Like if you don't reframe that reality for them, they will never know where to fight the battle. And so now you have all these people addicted to pornography. How do I know that? When I was pastoring a church, it was the number one issue in young marriages and young men and women. So, yeah, it's, it's a real issue. Pornography, folks, doesn't show us too much. It shows us way too little. See, a person consuming pornography is dismembering a person. They're carving out the sexual part of their life. There's no consideration for their whole life. Behind the display on the screen is, you know, they're being offered some sexual content, but behind all that is a person with financial realities, struggle, relationship dynamics, baggages, insecurities, fears, hopes, aspirations, a whole person, which you know nothing about and never will. You've just taken the part and kind of a melon ball cutter and carved it out and consumed them. You see, and this is my message for kids. It's like, it's so simple. If you're not willing to take on the whole life of the person, do not try and take just a sexual part. Pornography is not media. It's the heart which separates sexuality from its content of the whole person. So a high view of sex is not taking or plundering another. It's actually an act of giving and generosity. And so the message to our teens, folks, is easy for them to grasp and understand. And I really like how Dr. Laura kind of puts it on her radio program. She's like, never have sex with someone who would never lay their life down for you. See, a high view of sex means that it's treasured, it's protected, it's valued as an aspect of the whole self, which is not limited to our biology. Withholding it for someone who will forsake all others for the whole person ensures that sex honors each person. It serves as an integrating, connecting bond which strengthens marriages and protects it from disease and emotional baggage, which are the reasons so many people resist marriage in the first place. These are the facts of a healthy marriage, but our world truly hates this morality, and our teens can see this if we show it to them. So I would like to offer you how to train a high view of sex, you know, because when you do, it alters the assumptions behind dating. And here's another way to see the foolish messages of the world trying to govern dating. The world sees dating as a pastime or a gateway for sexual consumption of one another. See, I, I taught my teens that dating is essentially divorce practice when we adopt the world's foolishness here. See, the world says, just go on dates. Everybody's doing it. Have your fun. Don't get serious. Just play the field. Try out all the different personalities and types and figure out what you like. And then one day you'll meet somebody special. 
See, if our teens adopt that kind of stupidity, we are consigning them to ultimately settle for a relationship where neither person develops the skill of learning how to love and self-sacrifice. Or we're just accelerating the fear of missing out, which works diametrically opposed to their ability to learn how to make a commitment. And so, folks, just a quick side note here on this FOMO reality. Dating apps multiply this FOMO. Like you swipe left, you go on a date, you find somebody you like, but then while you're on the date or when you get home, you have three more uh, requests to date somebody new. So now you've got three, four in the background that are also interested, but you had this one good date. What do you do? So I recommend, like I told my daughter, you can use the date to meet somebody. If you finally decide to go on a date and you want to see them again, both of you delete the app right then and there. If neither is willing to do that, just walk away. They're not, they're not somebody you're really interested in. See, I taught my teens that dating is a process of truly getting to know someone. And if it's done correctly, most people who, you know, who a teen considers for dating is not going to end up actually being on a date. The whole process is to weed out all of the people you'd never want to date anyway. So you don't just go out with somebody who you think is cute and then you start learning about them. You learn about them long before you ever go out. It's so much easier to train our young people to see the emotional stupidity before they are engulfed in it. Once a, a teen is sucked into the emotional world of these relationships, it's really dramatic and hard to help them steer clear. And so the world encourages us to just follow our attraction and our appetite right into bed. And then later, we're forced to discover all the stuff which became a deal breaker. That is heartbreaking and foolish. Teens can see how stupid that is if we give them the line of sight to see it. Okay, folks, so now I know I've been rambling on a lot, but I think there's a lot here for you if you can hear it. We have to follow wisdom if you can't yeah, get the gist of this. So let me outline. This may take a few minutes, but I want to give this to you as a, as a guide. I want to give you the... Uh, six or seven things, six things that I believe uh, are important strategies on dating, okay? The first question that you offer, and I've, I've offered this to my teens and they follow this process, but when you think of somebody you might want to date, the first question is, are they worthy of my initial attraction? And no, I'm not saying that looks are the most important thing. They're not, obviously. But if you don't have an initial attraction to the person, it's not likely to grow much beyond that. So start with that. Do you, do you have an initial attraction to the person? If so, great. The next question is, are they worthy of a conversation? And I always suggest the conversation begin with text or DM. No phones yet. Don't talk on the phone yet. Don't meet in person yet. Through text, you can kind of learn a lot about a person. You can set the pace and depth of the conversation. You can take your time. You can ask very direct questions about a person's pastimes, their aspirations, their faith, their philosophies, their passions, their family, their finances. You really get to ask all the stuff about to see what a person's really made of. This is where you determine if there's enough overlap in trajectory to pick up the phone, right? And that can take weeks to kind of go through that. So you give yourself time to say, all of the other stuff lines up. If this person has no ambition, 
They're completely in debt. They have horrible morals. Why in the world would you go out with them? That's asking for a heartbreak. The next question then, are they worthy of my time? Once you determine a person shares the alignment based on all the other claims that they've made, it's time to allow for conversation. Like when the conversation becomes live over phone or you know, video, whatever, Skype, there's a new layer of discovery that opens up, right? Like you start to realize if this person can truly communicate. You start to see if there is an alignment between what they told you and what they're saying. Like you can revisit those questions again and hear it live out of their mouth and see if there's congruence. Are they in touch with their emotions? Are they in touch with their intellect? Do they have valid reasons for their conclusions about the world? Do they accept criticism or challenges to their worldview? Or do they just get defensive and angry? Are there, you know, the claims which they gave in the text the same as they give in the voice? Are there inconsistencies? This is the time to really pressure test the person behind all of it. Do they want marriage or are they just seeking to just have fun? Do they have any depth? Is there a process here? See, this This is where the conversation gets interesting. You're screening out a person before you even go out with them. The next question then is, are they worthy of a date? If this person on the phone has passed the many checks, then perhaps this is a person that the interviewing has a high sense of self-worth. They have a sense of you know, a high view of marriage, a high view of sex. That's somebody that's worth investing in your time. It's worth a date. Anyone unwilling to go through that process, and most people won't, will just drop out and prove themselves to be unworthy, so they're a waste of time. Why would you want to go and get emotionally or physically engaged with the person in some way and then find out later that they don't really want a relationship? That's just heartbreak waiting to happen. Why would we wait? Like, find out ahead of time before you go out. Then when you go out, like, if they're all in alignment, now you've got a potential good one. It's the skill that is taught here. See, once you know that they're worthy, there's alignment, and we already know that there's attraction, then it's time to meet. This physical encounter is what reveals so much that the phone call doesn't. This is where you get to see how their body language, their their presence, their posture, you know, kind of carries themselves. And you can really get a sense of a true connection. If, if it's not there, if something's off, if it's a little weird, then the process went too fast. Or the inconsistencies are telling you it's not a fit. So you need to listen to those types of things. Fifth, are they worthy of an investment? Once the couple here is now truly dating you know uh, they are not dating for the sake of dating they are dating for the purpose of growing in love with this person if the goal is not to learn how to genuinely love and determine if this person is worthy of self-sacrifice then they're just wasting their time and devaluing themselves why be with someone who isn't sure if this could really work or is just waiting to see how it goes? Like, why would you be in a relationship with that low of an, a sense of self? That's, that's horrible. It's demeaning to yourself. We're just seeing if it works out. You know, we're not talking marriage. We're not getting serious. We're just, you know, hanging out for now. That's just, you can see the folly. This is the time to pressure test to see if there's alignment spiritually, financially, socially, in our family, in our friends, our downtime, our work life, our holidays, all of that. It's doing life together. That's what dating is. This is the practice of figuring it out. And sex is still off the table here. 
if you discover in this process that this person wasn't really made of the same stuff that you are, then you could pull out of the relationship without, without that exposure to yourself physically. This is what it is. Your pressure testing is life possible here. And the person who won't commit without sex is in it for the sex. The person who values the person above the sex will know that sex in a selfless relationship will always be the best sex that anybody can have. And it's absolutely worth waiting for. Okay, so the last part here is, are they worthy of my life? Right? And this is the last step in the dating process. This is where uh, you're laying down your life for the sake of the other. This is true love. This is selfless, self-emptying commitment. It's the most vulnerable a person can be. It's putting our head in the guillotine and giving the rope to the other person. Uh, without that, you have no true, lasting love. Uh, this is the one of self-emptying practice. Instead of competing for our needs, we deny ourselves and seek to fulfill the needs of the other. And when you do that, if you have a trusting competent other person they are doing the same for you so you don't compete for needs you know your needs are being met by the other person this is so foreign to the world they don't even understand it then our needs are met by the other and we we meet the needs of the other in in return this is a biblical model of love of god and it's it's to be reflected in our marriages this is the point when a couple is engaged to be working out the logistics of being married once married the marriage can be celebrated and the couple can possess a sense of confidence and trust in the, that the other is not possible without this process. In this context, sex is an ongoing discovery which brings tremendous amount of openness, not shame. There's no risk of disease or unwanted pregnancies. There's none of that stuff. It's all, it's all avoided. And it's all about whole connection and love. And so, folks, that process will save your teens from stupid decisions. But most parents don't know how to give that to them. And I've offered it to you, and I'm sure some of you are pushing back saying, There's just, that doesn't even make sense. They'll, that doesn't even work. And the problem is that you're not operating, perhaps, from true north. And I don't say any of this to be condemning or judgmental. I'm trying to show you that the, the ideas of the world, the messages of the world are foolish. They're stupid. Right? And if we take them on, we become foolish and stupid. And then we train our kids to be foolish and stupid. The counterbalance to that, the correction, is to learn wisdom. To see things as God has taught us to see them in his word. And then to adopt that philosophy and apply it to life. So let me just close with this. If all this seems unrealistic, and if you assume your teen is not capable of a high view of love and sex, then as a parent, you have possibly given them this false hope and even the deception of the world. If you lack this in your own marriage, then you're likely superimposing your lack of values and assumptions on your teens, which, based on what we've seen in the world, is likely to bring them very much pain and confusion. Our teens actually are capable of knowing wisdom. And there are people out there who will value them, respect them for who they truly are, and they will want a relationship like this. There are people who, who have high views of marriage, and those are the, two, the people that need to seek each other out. But the world knows very little of this, if anything at all, or how to get it. So may I offer this. Give your teens the gift 
and the skill, and wisdom is skill, and to know how to love. And then their life will move into conformity to happiness and fulfillment. And that's what we want for all of our teams.